Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Play together, they believe. Um, if there's Levert, it's cold. Levert, back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday, shot clock down to six. Finds one. Welcome to another edition of the Indy Cornrows Podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started today, if you have not already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. We always want to hear from you and get your feedback. Um, you know, you're why we do this. So it's it's always great to, to get your opinions, uh, understand where you're coming from. Uh, I'm always here to answer any questions, take any comments, uh, you know, always down to talk some basketball. Um, and of course, read us over at IndyCornos.com. Now that the off season is starting to wrap up, somehow it's the first day of September today, um, which is just still wild to say, uh, like some simultaneously the longest and shortest summer of my life. Um, just got back from, from Toronto uh, yesterday after a week off to go uh, spend some time up there um, getting back and getting ready for a new season starting up. So it's uh, it's kind of wild, but it's almost here is, is my point. Uh, the first game of the season for the Pacers is on October 20th, which is in less than 50 days now, I believe. Uh, if I'm doing it correctly in my head, yeah, it's less than 50 days. Um, I think that's like exactly 48 days. I had I, you know, I'm not, I'm not great with the day. Some of the calendar right in front of me, um, but point being close enough, training camp is going to start up. We're getting there. Um, first things first today, uh, Keelan Martin's guaranteed date got pushed back again, as reported by Scott Agnes over at Fieldhouse Files. This makes sense for both parties. Um, Keelan obviously wanting to stick in the NBA, show what he can do so that he can maintain a, a playing career and, and get as much money as he can. Um, from a team moving forward and also for the Pacers they aren't really sure what they want to do with the last roster spot um, so I, I guess it makes sense in, in that sense you know maybe you want to see uh, what it looks you know how does Kiefer Sykes look in camp how does Dejan Giroux look in camp even though he already got a two-way um, you know there are a lot of ways that they could look at things I really think I don't want to say it's inconsequential um, it's not it's always worth looking and seeing how these things could play out um, but it's still interesting that it's been pushed back this many times and this far. It's not fully guaranteed until the first day of the season on the 19th. So this give the, gives the Pacers the entire remaining of the offseason um, up through preseason to find out what they're going to do with Keelan's roster spot. Uh, we'll obviously be keeping up to date on that. Um, but for today, uh, you guys were kind enough to send in some mailbag questions. Uh, obviously, again, it's kind of more of a dead period right now. There's a lot going on. So I wanted to uh, answer your questions, see where uh, where you're at, and, and give you my thoughts on it as well. So first question is from Zach Barnett at Z Barnett NBA on Twitter. What's your dream trade scenario to put this team at the top of the East? What's a realistic trade that would make the biggest shakeup in a good way? So I was actually uh, talking about this uh, with uh, Ricky O'Donnell from over at the, the main site on SB Nation um, covering the NBA on what a Ben Simmons trade would look like. And I actually, I, I don't know when that piece is going to be up because I have a small blurb that I'll go into it. But basically, I'm going to just kind of give my thoughts on that really quick. Because in all honesty, I think that is the most realistic right now. I don't I don't think the Pacers are going to be in play for Damian Lillard um, if, the, if he ever does become available. Um, in terms of looking at other guys around the NBA, I, I mean, other than Ben Simmons, there just is not anybody who is on the market right now. 
that is a quote-unquote star um, or superstar. Again, I still don't even think that I, I want to preface by saying I don't think this is a very likely trade to happen just based on how things have gone. The Pacers have talked uh, with the Sixers, you know, based on reporting. Uh, I believe the original deal was Malcolm and, and two firsts or a first. Um, I don't remember off the top of my head, but that was Jay Michael who reported that. It was either Jay Michael or, or Michael Scotto um, from Hoops Life. I can't remember off the top of my head right now. Um, but point being, the, the Pacers have been in on that conversation. So it's not entirely implausible, but it also just seems unlikely. Um, but in talking with Ricky, this is what came up. It was a TJ Warren and Malcolm swap for, for Ben Simmons straight up. Um, that works pretty much perfectly money-wise. Um, and so here, just my quick thoughts on it right away. Um, it's really tough because A, I mean, just looking at it as an analyst overall, I love what that does for Philadelphia. Um, I think that solves some of their problems, even though it's not perfect. I mean, TJ's fantastic. He brings you somebody who still gives defense on the wing. Malcolm obviously plays defense at a, at a quality level as well, while also becoming the best driver on that offense, probably the best playmaker on that offense in the half court. Um, or not probably, definitely the best playmaker in the offense uh, on that offense in the half court. It solves things for them. Also, Ben Simmons is the most talented player in that deal, the youngest, and on a long-term contract, all things that would behoove the Pacers brain trust to make this trade. I normally am uh, about talent over everything, but the fit is just really wonky when looking at the idea of a Sabonis-Turner-Simmons front court. Um, I think this is something that you look at if there's a subsequent deal, with one of the big, with with one of the bigs to bring in more perimeter talent, I think that makes sense. But the team can already struggle in half quarter late shot clock situations, as we know. On top of that, Brogdon and Warren are both sub All Star, borderline All Star talents who the Pacers have no real replacement for. So again, it's wonky. Definitely worth thinking about. Um, as dynamic and good of a player as Ben Simmons is, he is not a, an elite driver of offense in the half court. Uh, I mean, he's I think he's right around. 11 drives per 75 malcolm's around 15 malcolm is considered an elite driver ben is like an above average driver but you know especially when you factor in physical gifts and um size and and everything in in tandem uh there's definitely a drop off there um the rim finishing is obviously a different story between him and malcolm but also malcolm i like a lot of malcolm's finishes are going to be unassisted at the rim a lot of bends are not. That's a big difference. You need somebody who can get to the rim in an unassisted fashion because that opens everything else up. It's less about um, less about finishing at the rim, more about the ability to tilt the defense. Um, so that's it's just a different thing to look on. Um, so you're banking a lot on the idea of Ben uh, and or Karis LeVert getting better at getting to the cup with more consistency, which is something you could bank on. But again, wonkiness. Um Simmons and Sabonis also operate from very similar spaces as higher mid-post playmakers, using their height and court vision to pick apart a defense. What does that look like with two players who aren't being respected past the free throw line? Um, playmaking is probably the most important offensive skill in the league. You can never have enough, but the fit is certainly odd. Um, I would ultimately be in on this for Indiana, but admit that the team would probably not feel similarly. They view themselves as a win-now team, as we've talked about. And I think it would require a one step back, two steps forward approach, trying to restructure a younger team around Simmons after finding two of the three, after trading two of the three best perimeter options in the organization. Well, knowing more moves are happening in conjunction here. If I could, I would counter with something involving the same players, but adding in Tyrese Maxey and a conglomeration of Pacers picks to make that trade worthwhile for the Sixers. Maxey would provide another building block towards the younger team with a brighter future, and the Sixers would acquire more draft capital for subsequent moves to tweak their roster. 
It's not perfect, and I wouldn't want to part with Maxi if I'm Daryl Morey, but I would certainly try and make it happen if I'm Indiana. Um, I think, you know, something that I don't write about in there is talking about, like, with TJ, a lot of it is, like, you factor in, okay, he's an expiring contract. Um, I am of the camp that the Pacers should do everything in their power to re-sign TJ Warren. Um, I think, by all accounts, that's what they're aiming to do. Uh, but, again, I think just in looking at the, this trade in a microcostal view, I think it does make sense in some ways. I'm not entirely sure that the Sixers would feel the same way. They've been pretty, uh, especially looking back back at the James Harden trade, they did not want to give up a Tyrese Maxey, and that was a selling point for them. Tyrese Maxey is going to be incredibly good. Like I think he's going to be a starting point guard, starting guard, however you want to cut it, in the NBA, uh, and that means something. So if you were able to get him back, I think that solves some more of the questions you have. Um, getting back Simmons is a I mean, premier talent overall regardless of how people feel about him right now he's not on a bad contract he's getting paid appropriately for the kind of player he is um i understand having real concerns about him but also where are you getting that player if you're indiana i i don't really think that there is another way to get a player of that level um given how they have approached the draft uh for the most part um i don't know i think there's a lot to think about there again it's not cut and dry perfect I think I would heavily consider it, but it all just kind of depends how you're looking at it. And in terms of talking about the one step back to to forward approach, you're trading two of the older core players to get a 25-year-old three-time All-Star on a full long-term deal. Uh, both those guys are up for, uh, I mean, TJ is up for extension already. Uh, his deal expires this year. Malcolm has two years left, including this year. Um, so in some ways, you're losing a little bit of roster talent to try and improve your top-end talent and factoring in that you're going to be more viable long-term potentially. Um, so again, not perfect, but that's just kind of where I was coming from on that. I appreciate the question, Zach. Um, I know that was a longer response, but I also wanted to hit on some of the Ben stuff because I, I've hit a lot of it on Twitter. We've hit it in previous pods, me and Caitlin have, um, but that's just adding some more on top. Um, so thank you for the question. On to Alex Golden. Where do you see the Pacers finishing in the Eastern Conference? Are you in favor of entering the season with a 14-man roster or keeping it at 15 with keeping Keelan Martin or possibly signing Sykes to a minimum deal. Um, so number one, where do you see the Pacers finishing in the Eastern Conference is a very tough question. Um, I think I'll give a range. Like, I think they could finish as high as fourth um, if things really go well this year, which is entirely feasible. Let's say they have good health. Um, they really gel together. Uh, they gel with the coaching staff. Rick Carlisle is able to really make everything click, and they have some internal improvement. Like I think that the third or fourth seed is not entirely unattainable, while also acknowledging like some crazy shit has to happen on the side. Like uh, like maybe the Hawks have injuries, which you never want to wish on somebody, but that stuff does happen every year. Maybe the Bucks take a step back, which I doubt. Um, maybe things don't go great with Philly, which is actually entirely possible. Um, so I think you can factor that in just looking at it in terms of this year, um, finishing in the regular season standings third is attainable. But I also think if injuries do happen, if things don't break right, it's entirely possible this team is a playing team again. Like that would not surprise me. Um, I think you look at this Eastern conference and it is the deepest the Eastern conference has been in my time really being invested in the NBA and honestly just. I'd say since the early 2000s, it has to be close to that. Um, there, there are 11 or 12 teams that are all capable and trying to make the playoffs next year. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that's how I'd look at it. my. Just to give a final recap, my my range would be like 
three and a half to nine and a half, I think is entirely feasible that they fall anywhere in between there. Um, as for the second part of the question, um, I personally would be fine with leaving the roster spot open, but I think I'll, I'll, I'll go towards more keeping it at 15 while keeping Keelan Martin, because I always want somebody to get paid and I always feel bad about the idea of somebody getting cut. Um, I do think that Keelan showed some stuff down the stretch last year. That was enough to say he's worth keeping as, as deep bench uh, rotation guy this year. Like um, especially over the last 10 or 15 games, he looked, he looked good. The shot was there for him. Uh, I thought his defense was better. Obviously had that game against Brooklyn where he played some decent defense on Kevin Durant, uh, which is not everything, but you know, there was something there. I also would not be opposed to giving Kiefer Sykes a minimum deal. Um, I do think you could squint and say, okay, well, the Pacers need to have a, a third point guard, but if they theoretically view Dejan Giroux as a backup point guard or just as a point guard in general, then why wouldn't you just call him up from a two-way spot to, to come up and play if, if he's needed? Um, so I guess it just kind of depends how you're looking at it. There are a lot of variations that, that, that they could go, but I also think um, I can't really fault any of them is how I would look at it. So thanks for the question, Alex. Um, this question from Tony East is going to explode my brain because I've thought about it quite a bit. Would you rather have a player who shoots five of five and 40% of their games and oh of five and 60% of their games or a player who shoots exactly two out of five every single game? Ah, um, okay. So I'm going to pretend this is from three because I think that's, that's the question. Um, so here's the thing. All right, so I think some people might say five out of five and 40% of their games and 05 and 60 because that way you know, okay, well, if you get 15 guaranteed points from this guy in 40% of the games, how can you lose or something like that, like along those lines? Um, I think I would look at it more in terms of, and I know you told me not to be logical with this, Tony. I don't care. You know me. I'm being logical. Um, I would rather have a player who shoots two out of five every game uh, a crisp 40% because that's something, I mean, you can't really bank on that happening, but like in terms of looking at it, like you just kind of know, like you're getting that, you're getting that guaranteed six points every night. And I think that that makes a big difference. Uh, and ultimately like it all plays out the same numerically, um, for in terms of like totals, but also I think having that six point boost every single night, instead of a 15 point boost, 40% of the nights, and then no boost on, on 60% of them. Maybe I'm thinking about this too much, but I think I would rather have the consistency is how I would look at it. Um, and if we've learned anything from variance in three-point shooting, as, as Doug McDermott has shown us, it's better to have somebody who is consistent all the way across the board, not to slander Doug. But um, yes, that's that's how I would lean on it. Thank you for the question. Hopefully I answered it appropriately. Um, from my guy Rich over at Mavs Draft, not sure how much Mavs you watch, but what's your general expectations of Carlisle and what he'll translate from Dallas and what he'll change from Dallas? Um, I think, so I, I don't know if I'd say I necessarily have, first of all, thank you for the question. Second of all, I did watch a decent amount of Dallas this last year. There are a couple things I really would like to see um, and a couple things that I have questions about. Number one, if Miles Turner is still on the roster, which by all accounts, it seems like he will be, um, I would really like to see him get utilized like Chris Stapps Porzingis was. Um, I think you could argue Chris Stapps is a little bit better of a shooter, but I also think 
Miles did it. I mean, Miles has been a streakier shooter for sure. He's had really good years. He's had some meh years like last year um, while having really good stretches in them. But point, okay, I want to see Miles take eight threes a game. I want to see Miles just absolutely jack from outside uh, because him taking shots without hesitancy is huge. And more importantly, I, I think getting him taking like 28 footers, stretching out, giving Karras, Malcolm, whoever's running pick and roll, an even bigger driving lane like we saw for the, for the Mavericks and Luka, like that can absolutely crush a defense in terms of what it does. If if you can get the buy-in, or it's not even buy-in, but if you can just get Miles to comfortably be like, okay, I'm going to stop and pop, pop every single shot then I'm asked out of this. If I'm running a double drag five feet above the line and I pop and take a three, then I'm not going to pause. Like there, And again, that's I can't really judge that for sure, but that's something I would really like to see. Um, I would like to see uh, just more interesting bench lineups. Like I think that's something that Rick's always been good at, um, finding really interesting ways to mix and match bench lineups and, and find ways for every single guy to get involved, which sounds simple, but like that was just something we didn't always see last year. Um, it felt like there were a lot of guys who got utilized, but then also a couple who, who did not. Um, so that's something that I, I want to see. And I expect to see from Rick, honestly, somebody who always gets the most out of his rosters. Um, I'll talk more about the, the bench lineups in a minute, but in terms of expectations, I mean, I think part of the big allure with, with Rick coming over is the idea that we don't really, well, I think what we know what to expect is that he's going to build something around the roster that makes sense. Um, so that would be my expectation. Like, again, that's not to, to be reductive, but he builds what he's doing around the guys he has, which is part of what I really admire about him as a coach. And I think is it's just extremely key to what this team is trying to do, considering they're more of a some of their parts team. There's not, I mean, there isn't somebody like Luca who is going to be able to craft the number one overall offense around. Like, you have to find ways to to really integrate everyone. And I think one of the things that I'm most interested to see this year is how uh, the role hierarchy gets played out and how Rick decides to make some decisions with that, how he tempers the offense to, to meet the demands is the wrong way of putting it, but to, to filter through how to get the best out of everybody, um, maximizing everyone to the most that you can, because you can't maximize every single player if we're being completely realistic. But like, it's not about chalking things up to numbers, but like strictly like how, okay, what does the usage look like for every single guy um, who is going to get a high level of touches? Like that's something I'm very interested to see, very interested to see play out this year. Um, and something I expect Rick to tinker with quite a bit. Like I think last thing I'd say on it is just expecting a lot of tinkering. Like that's what I want to see this year. There were times last year where even though the idea was that Nate Bjorkman was going to be this guy who tested everything, it felt like at times he was really stuck in his ways and what he was doing. I think with Rick Carlisle, it's going to be different. Um, I mean, we'll see how that goes throughout the year, but that would be my answer on that. Um, so thank you for that question. Next from Mike, uh, at Mike underscore source. Assuming good health, how many games would it realistically take for the front office to come to conclusions regarding this Pacers team? Is it the same for both a positive and negative conclusion? That's a very good question. Um I, th how would I answer this? I think the first way I would look at it in terms of how they view this team, like I think it's already pretty clear that they think they're going to be at least pretty solid um, if they're fully healthy, which sounds reductive, but just given on reporting in the way that 
the front office, Chad Buchanan, Kevin Pritchard, Rick Carlisle have spoken. Like, they know that they're talented, and they've had really good flashes together when they're all healthy. So I think you can say 20 or 30 games in, they'll maybe have a pretty good feel and idea of where they are at as a team if they're healthy. Or maybe even if they're not healthy, they'll have a good idea. Because I think once you're 20 or 30 games in, you're getting close to the trade deadline. You have to be gauging, okay, where are we at as a team right now? What does this look like? Um, I don't really know what to think about if the team is not doing well. Um, like, let's say the team is 530 or 30 games in or 35 games in. Um, I do think that that raises some red flags. Um, like, I, I think you very clearly have to be looking for a trade um, and, and looking to shake things up with the roster. Um, so I think in some ways I would say, let's well, okay, well, let's say the team gets off to a really good start. Like, let's say they're 15 and five over the first 20 games, which I don't think is super realistic, or maybe they're 14 and eight over the first 22 or something like that's a solid start that probably puts you in um, the upper, you know, like not being a play, you're, you're not a playing team. If you're that level, you're, you're above the play and you're a guaranteed playoff team, which I think is what this team wants this year. Um, I think you can have a pretty good idea about that 30 games in. Um, I don't know why that's the number I, I, I chose, but I'm going to go with it. It's my gut instinct. I think that's when you have a fairly solid idea of what a team is like. Um, but I guess I would say negatively too, like if the team does start really, really poorly, like if the team is eight and 14 or 15 or something like, then you have a pretty solid idea of where you're at as a team. Um, like even if things change up throughout the year, it's hard to make up an eight game gap like that. Um, like we've seen the heat team that I think they went, gosh, I'm trying to remember what the record was, but they flipped the record like halfway through the year, like their first 41 games, I think they went like 15 and 26 or something like that. And they went like 26 and 15 down the back end and they still missed out on the playoffs. Like it's just very hard to make those kinds of, um, those leads or leads is the wrong way. Those deficits up. Um, so again, I would say 30 to 35 games is where I think you're going to have an idea, but again, looking at it like last year, cause that's what I thought it would be like last year. Um, and talking about Victor, like they found an opportunity 11 games into the year and ran with it. And I think I look for them to do the same thing this year because I just don't have the impression that they are super confident in staying solid as they are right now. Like, I do think that they're very open to making moves and know that they um, need to make a move to hit a higher level of contention, which I do think they that is the ultimate goal for them. They Not necessarily that they're going to put themselves into title contention because that's hard, but I do think that they're going to put themselves in as much of a position as possible to be a second round plus team and seeing what can go from there. Um, so hopefully that answers your question. Uh, to my, my next question from, from Derek Kramer over at iPacers blog, should the Pacers pursue with Lance Stevenson reunion? Should I pursue blocking you, Derek, is the real question. Um, no, just kidding. I got, I really brought that on myself by tweeting about Lance the other day. Um, I think in some ways, like just answering this positively for all of my misgivings that I tend to have about Lance Stevenson, which is, Less about Encore, more about, you know, some other stuff. Um, I think that it, like, sure. Um, I mean, he's pretty old now. He hasn't played in the NBA in two years, not since the 18-19 season with the Lakers. Um, I mean, maybe. I don't think it's necessarily bad. Uh, it's not like it's amazing either. Like, I think if, if you really view him as a vital part of the locker room and, and being somebody who can bring – guys up or and be a veteran mentor for younger guys and I would understand it but I also think 
I would just rather give that opportunity to a younger player who you think could thrive in, in a lesser rotation spot, or maybe there is somebody who comes up later on in the season that um, the Pacers could pursue with the MLE. Like maybe the guy, somebody gets bought out or something and, and um, Indy can offer him, uh, offer that guy like their MLE. Uh, I don't know. That's that, that was not the greatest example of all time, but that's my long story short of saying I am not really super into the idea of, of signing Lance Stevenson, but I think um, it could be understood for the most part. Um, so thank you for the question from Thomas Welch at Welch T21. What bench units would you like to see together with the Doug Sabonis core being broken up? I've always loved Justin and Miles on the court together, but how would you like bench units to go this year? I love this question. Um, it's something I've thought about a lot and I'm not entirely sure how to view it in some ways. Like there are a lot of lineups I would like to see. Um, one would be running with, you know, Brogdon, Levert, um, TJ Warren, O'Shea Brissett, uh, and Miles Turner. Uh, I know that's not necessarily a bench unit, but just getting out as much length, um, and, perimeter ability is possible like I think not to say that Sabonis doesn't have that but that's just an interesting line I mean this is not meant as like a anti-Sabonis thing or like pro miles thing it's more just like I think that would be really interesting I think I'm very well not I think I am very excited about what O'Shea is going to do this year um he looked incredible at summer league uh he obviously looked incredible last year a lot is going to hinge on what the shot is like for him this year and whether or not it upholds to what he did last year um so there are obviously questions there. Um, I mean, going off of that too, I would say, all right, well, let's see what does it look like with Ed at the one, Malcolm at the two, TJ, O'Shea, and Miles. You get a ton of athleticism with that, um, a lot of length. I mean, not to, again, it's not like a pro anyone, anti anyone, but like that's just a really intriguing lineup to me. I really want to see Ed get the ball in his hands more this year or at least in transition opportunities, uh, maybe some pick and roll opportunities too. I don't know how much he's going to get of that, but it's something I would very much like to see because he showed real flashes with it last year as his confidence really grew. Um, and he's just, I think that getting the most out of Ed and O'Shea is going to be huge for the team this year. Um, that's a group I would like to see. I also, any lineup that has the minus Sabonis, TJ McConnell and Chris Duarte is going to be much watch must watch basketball for me. I'm tripping up all over my words today. Um, I'm so excited for Duarte playing off of Sabonis. Like Duarte's, uh, gosh, probably the best off ball mover on the team now, other than TJ Warren. I mean, TJ's a, a god at moving off ball uh, for the most part. Like I think adding Chris Duarte as a as a guy who can play off the gravity of Domas be awesome coming off screens, do a lot of stuff as a cutter, um, maybe run some second side, not maybe, like, I think he will run some second side actions. Uh, I'm so excited to see what he looks like playing with Domas. Um, I'm also excited for more, um, like, let's see some more Goga Domas or Goga Miles minutes because they have to happen. Like, they have to happen. They're after, what I, like, this team has the optionality to play small and big at the same time, or not at the same time, but in the same game. Like they have the ability to throw a lot of looks out using all 13 guys on their bench. Um, not that you're going to use all 13 guys in a game, but you you get my point. Like you have ways. Okay, what if we want to throw out a lineup that's like Sumner, Brogdon, 
Levert, TJ Warren, and, and Tory Craig or something. Like I don't think it's I don't think it's great, but like that because I do think you have to have a five out there. But let's just say they do do that, and they're saying saying okay, Tory Craig's going to play the five for two minutes, which again I don't think is great. But you can look at that and say okay, well we have the we have the possibilities to do that if it looks really good. We can make teams play or and cater to what we're doing, or we can throw out Domas and Goga or Domas and Miles and really try and force teams to play bigger or have to adapt to, to playing with size. Um, so again, it's not there's nothing that's necessarily perfect about the roster, but if things do really work and Rick Carlisle is able to to make things gel, I do think that there are a lot of ways in which it makes sense. Um, to say that this team has a lot of versatility. But again, a lot of that depends on what is O'Shea's shot like, how is TJ? Because I think TJ Warren and, and O'Shea Brissett are the two guys who really open up the most for this roster as kind of connectors, uh, positionality, uh, positionally, geez. I'm, again, tripping all over my words. Um, I think the last bench you might want to hit on, like you mentioned, Miles and Justin, Miles and Justin, but Justin actually getting to play the three. So Miles, Justin, and O'Shea, uh, and whatever ball handler and like Tory Craig is a really interesting lineup. I don't know how much Tory Craig's gonna play this year. Um, that's something I'm really interested to track. Like I don't think that he signed to just play no minutes, but also I don't think he's a guy who has like a ton of say in saying, well, I want to play 25 minutes per game or something like that. Also, that's just not really available for him. But, uh, you know, we saw really viable bench lineups with Miles this year. We've also seen viable bench lineups with, with Domas. Um, but the Justin-Miles uh, lineups were, were really fun to watch um, last year. Uh, and I do think that there's a lot of interesting stuff that could happen uh, in terms of playing around with the wings and, and ball handlers on that, that bench unit as well. So I appreciate the, the question, Thomas. Hopefully that was a, a solid answer. Um, from Larry Golden at Larry, at underscore Laro Hoops, was a question about the Chicago Sky. Chicago Sky seem to have a problem when Candace or Courtney are off the floor, and that's Candace Parkner, Parker or Courtney Vandersloot. Uh, what would you like to see the Sky do in the offseason to fix this, or is it simply Diamond and others have to take a step? Uh, such a good question. I'm so torn on the Chicago Sky, man. I don't really know what to take from them. They just dropped an absolutely brutal loss. Um, to the Mercury last night, who have been red hot, have not lost a game since the Olympic break. Um, I think it's less about the issues that I have when Courtney and uh, Candace are off the court, more like I think they need to be even better when they're on the court together. I don't think that they do enough to get Candace going on offense, to be frank. Like, I think that they kind of underutilize her in some ways. Like, I, I get how awesome of a passer she is, especially for someone her size with their intersection of athleticism, handle, and size. Um, but also, like, okay, use her going towards the rim. Like, you can't just always have her play mo- playmaking from the top of the arc, um, which is what it feels like so often. Run some DHOs with her and Allie Quigley. Run run her as, 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 a, as a role man, a uh, role woman, I should say. Um, just get her more involved going towards the rim because she's so dynamic as a player inside the arc and I, I get it she can shoot too like just mix things up actually try and run more stuff with her they do it occasionally but not enough for my liking obviously Courtney Vandersloot is incredible that roster is so good they do need Diamond to Shields to be even better in some way she had a really good game last night until she got injured I hope she's okay I think she will be it looked like just a, an ankle tweak um, that would be my main answer to that because 
this isn't really a team that can wait for roster turnover. Like, they're pretty old. Allie Quigley's 35. I think Courtney Vandersloot's right around there. Candace Parker's in her mid-30s. Like, Diamond is pretty young. Uh, Kalia Cooper is, I mean, not Cooper, Kalia Copper is young as well. Um, but also, I just don't think when, when you're three of your five best players are in their mid to late 30s, you can't really wait around for, for roster turnover. Like, this is a big year for this guy. They have to make the most of it. I'm still waiting for them to put everything together for a late season push. They needed that game last night against Phoenix, but it was not in the cards for them. Uh, and they still have a brutal schedule down the stretch. They play the Storm in a back-to-back pretty soon. Oh, I know. They just play, they just played the Storm in a back-to-back. I'm totally mix, mixing that up. But they are playing a really tough schedule down the stretch as well. Um, second part of your question. Pacers are interesting. What would be a successful season in your eyes? I talked about it a little bit in Alex's question earlier. Um, in terms of regular season, like I think being a top six seed is ideal for them. Well, not just ideal, like they need to be that, in my opinion, for it to be a successful season. But a successful season for the Pacers, for me, is I mean they need to they need to make it to the second round of the playoffs. Um, I don't know if they get out of there. It's going to be a lot more of kind of waiting to see because this team has so much variability. Like, I think every team in the NBA does to an extent. But to me, this Pacers team has more questions and unknowns to me than most any team in the NBA, which I'll talk about on a future pod. But there are just so many questions about what could what could happen with this. Um, so, but yeah, for me, for it to be a successful season, I do think it has to be second round of the playoffs and being competitive there, not just getting run off the court. Um, so thank you for the question. Next question from Jeff Hasser at Jefferson Hasser on Twitter. If you could time travel and bring any player from Pacer history onto the roster, who would fit the best and why? I'm assuming it would be a former all-star, but also curious of non-all-star level guys. I mean, the two obvious ones right away are, are Paul George and, and Reggie Miller. And then, I, I mean, you could add Danny Granger on top of that. I actually think in some ways Danny and uh, and Paul make the most sense for the roster, needing more of a forward than a, than a wing. Like, obviously you need a wing. Don't get me wrong. But, like, I think having somebody who's a three – um, or a three, four could play the four. Sometimes we don't talk about Paul at the four here. Um, but like, I mean, Danny Granger would be fantastic. Um, he's somebody who could hang on defense. Like I do think he'd be better defensively on a, on a better team. Um, be a knockdown three point shooter, self create a little bit quality enough as a passer. Like he would make a lot of sense on the team. Obviously Paul is the guy Paul's in my opinion, probably the best, but well, I can't necessarily unleash the Paul George best pacer of all time take, but I do think Paul at his peak was probably the best pacer of all time. Um, not at, in his time with Indiana. No, like Reggie is the best pacer who played in Indiana. Um, Paul's career, you know, almost becoming an MVP. Like I, I do think in some ways that's a little bit more than Reggie did um, or not more than he did, but at his peak, I do think Paul was a better on ball player than Reggie quibbling over who's ranked where is that's not really something i care about um i think reggie's i guess what whatever you want to say is the better all-time player in some ways but i do think paul could surpass him i'm not really i don't really care about that that's my answer to that um in terms of like guys who are less stars like <sighs> Vern Fleming would be really interesting on this team and I know that's a poll but like just the a, a big ball handler who was a good playmaker could get to the inside I wonder what his shot looks like now um he wasn't really a shooter uh when he was playing in the late 80s early 90s um but he was a good free throw shooter so like I think that's there for him like I, I do think the team needs more more drivers playmakers um I love the idea of adding somebody like Derek McKee to this team 
who I, I still don't think it really solves anything for you, but that does something fun, especially if you're looking at non-all-star guys, like a wing who theoretically can knock down shots. He was really only a good shooter in the um, in the years when the three-point line was shortened, but I do think it would be different now. Um, who else, man? Like Chuck Person obviously would be fantastic on this team, um, but he would be really, really darn good on any team as a versatile forward who could shoot and handle a little bit. Um, I'm trying to think of one more good one to pull. Um, man, this is a really good question. I do appreciate historical questions. I think here's my answer. I would go with Al Harrington. Al Harrington would be my final answer in terms of doing a realistic one. Uh, cause he's somebody who I think would be a, like he was more of a tweener in his days and that when it wasn't really necessarily positive to be, um, he was a little small to play the four. Uh, most of his time, most of his career, especially during his prime. Like, I think he would be a fantastic four now who could play small ball five a little bit. Maybe in bigger lineups, you could ask him to play the three. Um, he could pass. I don't I don't, I don't know if I'd say he's a great pass or anything, but he's somebody who could dribble, pass, and shoot and play defense um, at least at a, an average level. And that matters when you're six foot nine. So I think Al Harrington would be a great fit on this team because this team really misses guys like that. Like they need more of that lineup versatility like we've talked about. I think that would make a lot of sense for them. Um, so thank you for that question. Hopefully, I'd like to hear what you think. Let me know uh, in the comments on Twitter and what anybody else thinks as well. I'd love to hear. Um, there are a lot of great ways you can go with that one. Maybe there are some ABA guys who would make sense too. Um, from Elliot Beaver at Beaver Elliot. Is Warren better suited at the three or four, and will her bonus ever end before Turner's contract is up in two years? To the second part of the question, I think so, just being completely honest. Like, I do think that Turbonus will be over, quote-unquote, before Turner's contract is up in two years. Um, and is TJ Warren better suited at the three or the four? Um, I think part of what's really interesting about TJ is that it doesn't really matter. Like, TJ Warren brings you good defense at the point of attack uh he brings you good size he can shoot from all three levels and score at all three levels i should say of course he can shoot from three feet away um yeah he can finish at the rim he's a good finisher at the rim he can finish inside the arc um and he's capable of shooting from three obviously he's working on as a passer so i think in some ways he's a little bit more suited to be the four but he can play both depending on who he's playing next to like like we've talked about i think that's that's been a theme on a lot of my pods just Part of the reason TJ was missed so much last year is because of the versatility that he brings by being able to slot in in multiple spots and do multiple things for you. Like, even if he's relatively average at some things, like particularly on defense, like that's okay. Being six foot eight and average at defense is really important in the NBA. Um, I would argue that it's almost more important than being a good guard defender or something like that. Like, there are things you can look at and say, well, it's better to be average and be big than to be small and like really good at something. Maybe that's a, that's a very reductive way of putting it. I don't think I would necessarily ascribe that to everything, but like we saw so much of how much that was missed last, last year, as good as Justin holiday is defensively, he was overtaxed. Um, as good as some of these guys are defensively, like we saw like Edmund Sumner couldn't play the four. That's asking way too much. Even if you could, you could make some argument that he's a better defender than TJ one. I don't know if I'd make that argument. That's just off the top of my head. Um, having TJ Warren be six foot eight with a plus wingspan and being okay at defense or, or, or good at defense, however you want to call it like that matters. So I think that's how I'd say, uh, you know, he's kind of a three and a half to me. There are moments where he can play both. Um, 
So it's not a perfect answer, but that's how I would go with it. Um, three more questions. One from over at Motor City Hoops. And also, thank you, Elliot. I appreciate the question. Thanks for always engaging with my stuff. Um, from at Motor City Hoops, as an outsider, I look at the roster and see a lot of talent, but can't help but wonder if there's a number one option on a championship, on a championship team. Do you think there is? If not, how do you see them going about getting one? Um, first of all, if you guys don't follow at Motor City Hoops, you should. Bryce is great. Uh, his podcast is fantastic. Great way to keep up with the Pistons. Um, also a really great guy too. So keep up with his stuff. Um, no, there is not a number one championship guy and a number one option on a championship team guy, but I also think it's a little bit arbitrary and I don't mean that as a slight at your question. I just, whatever, there are like four guys in the NBA who are number one options on a championship team. So I don't really care. Um, how do you see them going about getting one? I don't personally think they're going to get one. Uh, but I do think in terms of looking at a number one option on a really good team, like, I really do believe in a Demonis Sabonis leap happening as a scorer. Um, it's something I want to write about. Uh, I've been thinking about it a decent bit because I do think there is a real leap in him as a scorer. Somebody who can get to the free throw line a little bit more, that would really change how I see him as a scorer. And I think it would change how teams guard him as well. Um, I also would say that I think that there is a chance for a TJ Warren leap this year as an offensive player, uh, maybe more as a playmaker, um, more as somebody who can handle the ball who can run some offense um, like we started to see in the bubble. Uh, that's more of a – I'm less certain of that because he obviously missed a really big opportunity to develop that last year, which sucked uh, for him and for the team, of course, but uh, more for him because um, personally on a personal level, like him having to sit out a whole year, that just that sucks as a person. Um, so, yeah, that's how I look at it. It's more looking at, okay, who if, they, if this team makes the conference finals – can TJ Warren be your best player um, or your quote unquote number one option? Can Domas be like, um, I think there are avenues where you could see that and say, maybe um, I don't have a super concrete answer, but again, this team is more based on like being extremely good one through six or seven and having good players up and down the roster than necessarily having one guy who, who fits all. We talked more about Ben Simmons earlier in the pod, who again, he's not a number one option, but uh, top end talent is important. Um, from Brian Hardwick um, at Red Voodoo ten thirteen on Twitter, realistically, what superstar would you like to see the Pacers trade for? Um, I, I again, I don't really think there's a superstar that's available. We talked about Ben Simmons earlier. Um, I, I don't really know who else is going to become available again. I don't really think the Pacers are in the real opportunity to to trade for for Dame Lillard. Um, I don't really know who else is going to be available anytime soon. Um, so again, I'm not trying to cop out, but um, I think I would default to, to Ben Simmons right now. Um, so I appreciate the question. And lastly, lastly, geez, I am really tripping up a lot today. Lastly, from Tristan Duncan at T Dunk, uh, and for Dunk, it's D U N C C C. How did you end up covering the Pacers? Also, can you describe the summer league experience as a whole? Love the content, Mark. Keep up the great work. Um, first of all, thank you a ton, man. I appreciate the kind words. Um, I ended up covering the Pacers because Tom Lewis is awesome, and I emailed him one day asking if they needed any help at any cornrows. Somehow Tom had come across my work before, and he uh, he was interested in bringing me on, and I was just fortunate enough to um, to start from there after you know just kind of uh, doing my own thing as a blogger and podcaster for a little bit. Um, I was lucky enough to get that opportunity and I, I like to, to think that I've done pretty well with it while still trying to do even better. Um, 
Can you describe the summer league experience as a whole? Uh, summer league is kind of wild uh, because you, it's the only time other than all-star break and even, I mean, all-star break isn't even necessarily the same, but it's the only time where all 30 teams, people who cover them, people who work for them come together. Um, so like, for example, like I, you, you walk out uh, to Thomas and Mack Center one day and the first people you see outside the arena are Karan Butler and Mike Bibby, like stuff like that. Like walking through and seeing, uh, man, who all was there? Like, I mean, obviously LeBron came through one day. The the Ball brothers were there. Um, I walked past Jaden and Jalen McDaniels uh, one time in the arena, which was kind of wild. Like you just, you're there and you see all these people who you know from talking to or, um, you know, obviously covering. Uh, like it's just kind of awesome to be there in person and, finally get to see everyone um and not be uh just like you know talking to somebody in dms or um or texting like it, that, that i think that was the coolest part about it for me obviously the basketball was fun getting to watch like double digit games uh in a small course of days in person was fantastic after not seeing an in-person game for like two years um so i loved that i loved the experience the food was expensive as hell the entire city is crazy expensive and a very overwhelming place, just to be completely honest. Like, there's ads everywhere. Um, my Uber from the hotel uh, to the airport was $35, and it's an eight-minute ride. So, like, you know, planning more for that next year is going to be interesting and important for me. Um, but overall, I just thought the experience was great, man. Like, getting to get out and just kind of do human stuff. Um Obviously, I was, you know, you, you have your mask on the entire time, uh, which is still something odd to get used to. It's odd being in, in crowds again in some ways. But, um, yeah, man, it was awesome. Uh, and I'm, I'm just really fortunate that I was able to do it. And I appreciate you and, and just anyone in general who, who supports me and says kind of things about my work because um, I don't always feel the best about it. So I, I appreciate when, when people build me up like that. Um, and it makes me feel pretty good about what I'm doing. So, Thank you again for the kind words, man. Um, and just thank you to everyone. I appreciate you all listening. I'm really excited for the season to get started and, and cover things, try and do an even better job than, than we did last year. Uh, obviously, we have a lot to, to break down. It's going to be hopefully a more um, well eventful. I don't want to say eventful. Uh, a more exciting season in terms of wins, um, having you know real viability as a team compared to last year. Because last year was really frustrating, as we know. Like, um, just analyzing it was frustrating talking about all the stuff off court was frustrating um i'm very excited for for what this team could mean for you guys as fans this year um and i really hope to to provide the the best analysis and, and insight possible because that's what i want to do um so i know this is a, a little bit shorter of a mailbag episode for me it went 47 minutes but i appreciate you all listening um i, I hope you're all having a great day great end of summer it's not end of summer to me i know fall technically started but in the summer is when it is in the 60s or, or 50s to me not when it's still 75 outside so we're getting there um but thank you again for sending any questions in if you have any questions comments whatever feel free to send them to me my dms are open on twitter um you can email me as well it's in my my bio on twitter um i hope you're all having a great day thank you again for listening and go pacers